So we're in a series uh, on Ephesians. We've been working through Ephesians over the summer uh, is kind of our uh, idea. Uh, and so um, normally I have the, it up here with the, the scripture and all that. So during summer, I want to encourage you to actually bring your Bible because uh, you can kind of follow along as we work through some of these uh, pieces. And some of you have it on your phone. I know you can uh, just open up that way and get it uh, as well. Uh, it, um, so, and if you don't know one, BibleGateway.com. And that'll get you there, and you can, you can look up uh, Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, but let's start with our memory verse uh, today. Uh, the memory verse we've been doing is uh, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. And normally I got it up here so you can read. So this is the test. I'm going to find out whether you were paying attention the last couple of Sundays, okay, and see if you can get it. So let me walk through it real slow, and then I think you'll, you'll be able to get it. It says this, be kind to each other. That's not hard, isn't it? Be kind to each other. I mean, he's going to give us three directives. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. So be kind to each other, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. So pretty simple, straightforward. Let's try it, okay? Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Let's try it one more time. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Well, uh, this morning, uh, we're going to do what I think of as uh, the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and the Island of Misfit Toys kind of sermon. Any of you remember that one from like the 60s? Yeah, you're all dating yourself. Uh, that, that was, a, that was a, an important one for me as a kid. I, I remember watching it uh, as a kid because it had this this wonderful story in it, and the story was that, uh, you know, Rudolph was getting teased, and everyone was giving him a hard time because he had a red nose, and he was different. He was a misfit, and he ended up at the Island of Misfit Toys, where the, all the toys were misfits, right? They were broken, or they didn't work right for some reason, or they were rejected, uh, any of those kinds of things, uh, and the, the gist of it is they go through a series of obstacles, and the last obstacle is there's this giant storm on Christmas Eve when they're supposed to be taking all the toys out, and you can't see anything, and the reindeer can't fly, but, but Rudolph's misfitness, his nose that glowed, showed the way so that they could get to the misfit island of misfit toys, load them all up, and give them all to happy homes, and everyone wins. Yay! <laughs> Come on, folks, here. You're going to have to speak up, right? So it's, it's a classic story of kind of a brokenness and redemption and, and uh, that, how that goes together. Uh, and that's the passage we're going to look at today. It's a, it's a story of, of, of truth-telling about the reality uh, of sin, but also the goodness of, of God and how he works uh, in that. Um, and so uh, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, starting at, at verse 1. We're going to work through uh, verse 10. So it starts with this. Uh, you were dead in your offenses and sins. I, I love Paul. Paul is a truth teller. He's just telling it straight out, man. Sin will kill you. It will kill your heart. It will kill uh, you eternally. Uh, I call su sin sweet poison, right? Because no one drinks poison if it's not sweet. But if it's sweet, like maybe, you know, I I I've heard that like uh, radiator uh, coolant is like sweet to dogs and you have to be careful because if you leave it out somewhere, they'll, they'll lap it up. But it's also poison to them, right? And, and that's the nature of sin. Nobody sins because it looked like it was going to hurt. Everybody gets engaged in something that's not good for them because at first it looks like it would be. It looks like it was sweet or it would be enjoyable uh, and all of that. And that, that's kind of what he's saying here. Um, you were dead. And as a result of being involved with that, you were dead. 
and, and so a pastor friend of mine likes to say something that's really stuck with me, and it's this. Sin always costs more than you wanted to pay and takes you further than you wanted to go. Sin always costs more than you wanted to pay and takes you further than you wanted to go, okay? Uh, and so Paul is, is laying it out. He's like, be careful. You were dead in, in your sins. Then verse 2, uh, in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, so they were walking in sin, according to the prince of the power of this air. Uh, and back then they believed evil spirits were in the air kind of a thing. Um, and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And so the word walked is the idea is it was a lifestyle. So what he's talking about here is not you're trying to do what God wants you to do and you mess up and you fail, right? You know, you meant to do the right thing, but it didn't work out like that, you know? And you all, you all experienced that where you, you were really, your heart was in the right place, you're trying to do the right thing, but it turned out bad. Oh, good, two of you, that's good. <laughs> we're friends because, man, that's, that's the story of my life, right? This is actually the idea of deliberately walking in, in sin. In fact, uh, the word there for disobedience is the idea of obstinance or resisting God's will or rebellion. So it's like rebellion against God. This is like, I want nothing to do with God. I don't want any, any part of him. And then verse 3, it says, Among them we too all previously lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. Isn't this a great sermon so far? You're all sinners and you're dying. You know, I just, I just love this stuff, you know. And in fact, the word all there means both collectively and individually. It's kind of, in English, we would say every single one of you, right? Every single one of you uh, lived in, in the flesh uh, and, and, and were sinners. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to look around at each other. Look around. All the people you see once lived in the flesh. That's a little awkward, isn't it? <laughs> you know? and, and there's a, a word in here that I think we get confused. It's the word lust. And part of the problem in, in, in America is when we hear the word lust, we automatically associate it with sexuality because that's kind of, you know, and they're kind of trying to get that word to be a good sort of thing. But in, in the original language, it's much bigger than sexuality. It, it, it's about uh, anything that, that creates a strong desire, craving, longing, uh, a desire for what is forbidden or for what is not good for you. It's that when you really have a desire to do something you know isn't good for you, and there's a drive toward that kind of thing. In some ways today, we would call that addiction, in some, some sense of it, right? You know, um, I, I'm not anymore, but there was a pretty significant period of my life where I was addicted to Diet Coke. Nobody's going to say amen and support me there, you know? <laughs> and then I got cancer, <laughs> and, and I managed to get off that. But, but I knew it wasn't good for me, but I just kept, I, you know, that, that kind of thing. And so that's what's meant by lust, is it's this idea of something that's, that, that's bigger. And so uh, when we associate that just with, with sexuality, we miss that there are other things that we can be addicted to in our lives, and so many sorts of things, things that, 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 that drive us uh, forward. Uh, and eventually cost us in all of that. So um, then another part of this is he mentions the mind, lust in, in both the flesh and in, in the mind. And so evil works, the evil one works in both our bodies and our thinking, okay? Um, and so I think the thinking thing is really, really important. That, that there's something that can happen in our minds. There's an area of spiritual uh, discipline and growth in our minds. Because honestly, when you become a follower of Jesus, the early years, sometimes God's cleaning up a lot of the big stuff. But as you move along, it's like that stuff isn't really where you live anymore. 
You know, it's been a very long time since I've been tempted to rob a bank, right? Because that's just not where I'm at. That, that fleshly part, that for money, that's just not where I'm at. But the battle of the mind, to be thinking the way Christ would have me to think, to conform my thinking to him, that, that's more of the struggle. And, and there's this thing that can happen where we begin to dwell, we begin to think about, we begin to get focused on, we begin to get hyper-focused on things that are not of the kingdom of God. And, and it, it begins to consume us, and eventually it comes out in ways uh, that, that, are, that are not appropriate. So it's this, uh, much of life's battles are won or lost in our, in our thinking. Amen? It's our thinking that leads us down to the path of other things. And this topic is in Scripture all over the place. In fact, it's a really, really big deal in Paul's writings, uh, but even, even for Jesus. In fact, in Matthew, when they asked Jesus, boil this whole thing down, everything you're about, boil it down to the bottom line, you know he gave us the great commandment, right? Jesus uh, replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. Exactly right. That's it. Whoa, that's in there. Our, our, our thinking counts, how we love God with, with our mind. Uh, in Romans, uh, Paul, again, writing, he said, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah, so that's where the battle is. And he says, when you get transformed in your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The mind is kind of the conduit through which the Holy Spirit works in so many ways. And in Philippians, again, Paul writing, he says, these are the things you should think about, right? It's at the end of the verse. And now let me give you the list. This, this is what, as followers of Jesus Christ, you should think about. Whatever is true. Whatever is noble. Been thinking about noble things lately? Whatever is right. Whatever is pure. Whatever is lovely. Been thinking about filling your mind with lovely things? Whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, okay? And so Paul is encouraging us that the battle for us is in the mind. So he's now drawn this picture of you are dead in your sins. He's made it a pretty ugly picture. It's uh, in your flesh, and it's in your thinking as well. Verse 4, here's where the good news. This sermon's about to get a lot better, okay? Uh, Verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy... Because of his great love for that which, for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive. There we go. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And I love, again, this language that Paul is using here in Ephesians. He said, but God being rich in mercy. Y'all want to be rich? It's better than being poor. I don't know. <laughs> you know? But he is rich in mercy. And so Paul, again, you remember in chapter 1, he talked about lavish grace. So Paul is drawing this picture of God who is just generous and, and rich and, and lavish and, and pouring it out in all kinds of, of, of ways. Yeah, you can give it away uh, and, and still have more is kind of the idea of, of richness. And, and mercy, this is the definition they, uh, they gave. Mercy is goodwill towards miserable and aff- towards the miserable and afflicted, joined with a desire to help them. I think that's the best definition of mercy I've ever heard. Goodwill towards the miserable and afflicted, joined with a desire to help them. Now, in this passage, you and I are the miserable and afflicted when we're not living in Christ, right? And, and God has this goodwill. He's rich in mercy and, and lavishes that on us. 
And so God has so much mercy, he hardly knows what to do with it. He never, never runs, runs out of it. Um, I have a friend uh, who, is, who is truly rich. A lot of people who think they're rich are actually just well off, right? But, but rich is an, another category of it. And I asked him one day to define it because he, by any standard, he's rich. Um, and he said, he said this, you are rich when you can buy anything you want and it won't affect your lifestyle, right? You have so much extra that you could go out and buy a yacht and you wouldn't have to follow a budget, you know? Now that's rich, and, and, and that's why God has got so much mercy that he can give it away to everybody, and he's still got way too much mercy. doesn't know what to do with it all. That's the image Paul drives here. Rich in mercy and great love for you. Not just regular love, great love for you. So here's kind of the, how he's talking about this. He's saying, you were dead, but now you are alive in Christ. You were dead, but now you are alive. We, we messed up. We, we drank the sweet poison, right? And God found us. And despite the fact that he goes, well, you deserve that. Okay, I told you not to drink that stuff. I have all kinds of warnings out there. And yet you drank it anyway. Tough. No. God is rich in mercy. And he, he raised us up anyway. And so when I think about this, excuse me. <coughs> When I think about this, I kind of think of, of, of sin as the, the chains of death that, that hold you down, you know, that keep us from experiencing what God would, would have for us. And I kind of get in my mind, and I know I have too active an imagination, but I kind of get in my mind the idea of, a, of a, a, a morgue table. If you've ever been in a morgue and had a chance to go downstairs to the back room where they actually embalm and all that, they lay them out on a, on a, a big table, you know. And, and I just have this image of, you know, the embalmer guy getting ready to kind of embalm the body because they are dead and they're not coming back to life. And all of a sudden, they ask Christ into their life, you know, and all of a sudden they raise up on the table. And say, oh, they're alive. What a moment that would be for us to see. And I thought several times, well, you know what we should really do? When we ask people to accept Jesus into your life, we should get a big table and put it up on the platform. And after you accept Christ, you lay down on it. And then we say, rise up, and you rise up, right? No, not so much. No. Well, at Don Don, we actually already do that. We call it baptism, right? We, we go down when you're, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you go down like death, and the water covers you. And for ancient people, that was the worst way to die was in the water. And then we raise you up to new life, and you all celebrate, and you go holler and yell, and right? Okay, <laughs> making sure you're with me in all of that. So we literally act that out. And by the way, and I know it's already been said, but in a couple of weeks here, we're having our next, uh, our next uh, kind of all-church potluck and, and kind of picnic out here, uh, and we're going to have a baptism right out in the middle. And if you know Christ is your Savior and you haven't been baptized, see me. We would like to baptize you. We have a pool, that will, so it's enough you can get down and, and all of that. And yes, it's going to be cold, so get over it. It's right, you know? I mean, he gave his life for you, a little cold water, you'll be fine, all right? So I encourage you to come and, and be a, a part of that. Uh, and so uh, God has given us, he's talking about this idea, God has given us resurrection life. Resurrection is really important uh, to Paul. The gift of, of resurrection life made possible through Christ uh, and the transforming work of that, that we have been transformed into this new sort of thing. It's not the old thing kind of redone. It is new life. Uh, in Christ. And that's the power that we have as followers of Jesus, okay? 
You have the power of the resurrection in you if you're a follower of Jesus. Good. Look at the person next to you and say, you have the power of the resurrection. Excellent, excellent. If you get a hold of that, man, that, that's so good. Verse 6, it says, and raised us up with him, okay, that's the resurrection again, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the boundless riches, okay, still on this riches. Now it's just not just rich, but the boundless riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. He just didn't raise us up just so he could send us back, right, to go out there and fall down and, and be all messed up again. He literally set us next to, to the God the Father with, with Christ Jesus. And in our culture, where you sit doesn't make that big a difference, you know, except if you're a kid at Thanksgiving, right? You know, my, my timing was wrong, so I ended up at the kids' table way too long. I wanted to be at the, the grown-ups' table. How many of you have had to do that at some point? You know, when all the family, yeah. And, and so that's when it kind of counts. But for the most part, when we gather, you just sit around the table. But in the ancient world, where you sat told how valuable you were. So you, you, some of you have read the passage where Jesus says, you know, uh, sit at the foot of the table so that, so that if you're important, then the guest will move you up, the host will move you up. Because if you sit at, at the head of the table and you're not that important, the host will move you down. They literally did that in the first century right? If, if you got invited to a big banquet and you sat too close to the host and you weren't that important, they'd come along and say, uh, we need you to move down, right? With everybody watching. And if you were more important, they'd move, you, they'd move you up. And so this image is literally that Christ has grabbed your hand and headed, marched up to the head of the table next to God the Father and sat you down right next to him. That is, amen, that's good stuff. That, that Christ has done that for us. He, he has done so much for you. I, I don't know what it's going to be like, but when I get there and, and they do that with me, it'll be Jesus and God the Father and me. I'm getting out the, uh, the phone and doing a selfie. Hey, everybody smile. You know? I don't know what I'm going to do. I probably won't do that, but I might just for fun. Everybody's going, was your guys the pastor that did the selfie with God? You know, <laughs> so yes, I'm sorry. You know, so you have been raised to live a new life in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. The old is gone, the new has come. Old is gone, the new has come. That should be our theme song. The old is gone. The life that was in death and sorrow and suffering is taken away, and, and we have been given new life in Christ to, to live for him and to be what he would have us to be and to do what he's have us to do. Boundless riches of his grace and kindness. Boundless, with, without limits. I, you know, I, I read this stuff, and uh, I, I remember growing up and hearing a lot about a God that was really angry. And I kind of read this and go, what Bible are you reading, man? Because can I tell you, God is not an angry God. God is not an angry God. Yes, he's not an angry God. In these boundless riches of his mercy, he, he pours this out on it. He, he's not miserly. He's not a God that says, okay, you can have a little bit of grace and you can have a little bit of grace. You be careful how you spend that. That's not the way it works. It says he was lavish with his grace. He bounded in riches in his mercy. He's pouring it all out. What a great God we serve, amen? For by grace you have been saved through faith, verse 8, and that is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. So here's another definition of grace I came across that I really like. Undeserved goodness towards you and me. 
undeserved goodness towards you and me. Say that. Say undeserved goodness towards you and me. Yes, that he he graciously gives it to us even though we don't deserve it. And and we're saved through by grace through faith. And you all know because you've heard me preach this enough, but when it says faith, that's not an intellectual thing like, you know, believe in me. It's not like, oh, hey, I believe that there is a God kind of a thing. God does not need you to agree with him. You know that, right? You don't have to affirm his opinion. When it talks about faith, it's actually trust God. Put my trust in God that I I will follow you even when I don't understand. Even when I am afraid, I, I will follow you. No matter what's going on, no matter anybody else follows you, I will follow you. That's faith. That's what trust is about. And so God wants new life for every part of you. The word in here for, for uh, saved, um, uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith. The word is sozo in, in Greek. Say sozo. Yeah. And, and it doesn't mean you've just been saved so that you're going to go to heaven. Sometimes in American Christians, we kind of talk like that's what it's all about. It's all about, you know, if you can just get saved and get to heaven, then everything's good. We kind of call that fire insurance theology. This idea you kind of buy a plan so that, you know, if your house burns down, you'll, you'll get the house back. The word sozo actually speaks to salvation of the whole person and all of your relationships. And so when we talk about life and salvation, those, those two go together in Scripture, and they just fit perfectly. Because when you are saved, it's not just that you're going to get saved so that you can go to heaven, although that's included. But that's kind of the retirement package. This salvation sozo is that God wants to change your life now and here. He wants to do the things in you for healing. He he wants to uh, work in your relationships. He wants to work in your heart. He wants to work in your mind and your thinking. Remember Romans 12, be transformed. In the original language, it's actually be being transformed. You have been transformed. Now for the rest of your life, you continue to be transformed into the image of Christ. Sozo, full salvation. Somebody say amen, because that is really good news for all of us. Everything about you, he wants to work in you. The truth is you can't save yourself. Only God can save you. And that's good news. When uh, I first read the passage about, um, for grace you have been saved and not of yourself is the gift of God so that no one can boast. And I know that when he was speaking, he was speaking to the Jews and the Pharisees who liked to boast that because they had never broken the rules and they'd done all these good deeds that they were going to go to heaven. They were good enough to go to heaven. But I wasn't like that because when I grew up, I always thought that I was never good enough to go to heaven, right? There, I, I sinned all the time, and there was all these things I fell and, and all of that. And so when I found out that salvation wasn't by good works, it wasn't so that I wouldn't boast. It was so that I finally said, thank you, Lord. You know, I don't have to be perfect. <laughs> no one wants to say amen there because it sounds like you're saying, yeah, you're not perfect, dude, you know? I know how y'all think out there, you know. <laughs> but that, that's what it was for me, that salvation isn't about me being good enough. You know, I, that's just not the, the way it, it works for me. It is that he has given this great gift to me and this great gift to you. And so here's what I know for sure. God is a really good gift giver, amen? He's a really good gift gifter, the gift of life. And, and the, the word for gift is the same word they use for, uh, like, gifts to the temple, you know? So it's the idea of a sacred gift. It's not like, you know, giving, giving your wife a spatula for Mother's Day or something like, don't do that. 
Don't ask me why I know that, but don't do that, okay? It's the idea of something sacred, something holy, something of great value that your Father gives to you in this salvation, that the God of the universe extends to you a sacred gift of grace and mercy and life eternal. You can't buy it at Walmart and you can't order it off Amazon. It is the gift of life in us. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And the word workmanship there is the idea of fine craftsmanship, quality built with one's own hands. You are literally a a, a fine work of art from the hand of God. (laughs) Some of you are going, yeah, you have a, you should know, (laughs) you know. But that's what scripture says you are. You, you are a fine work of art. You are custom designed, the highest quality materials, careful attention to de- detail. Uh, you are a custom work of art from the hands of the living God, created for his good works in, in your life. You belong to God. You were created by him and you belong to him. When we damage ourselves, we damage God's property. So when you hear people run themselves down, Every time I hear someone say, oh, you know, I don't know, I want to say, don't you be talking about God's stuff like that, man. You, you, you don't belong to you. You belong to God. And he created you in his image. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard for some of us to get a hold of that. It was hard for me to get a hold of that because I am ADHD. And it's gotten me in trouble so many times, especially when I was young. I got my first spanking in kindergarten, Okay. So I was that kid. I was the kid that they knew my name before I walked in the classroom. Oh, you're Craig, you know? That's sort of, and, and over my life, it's bitten me so hard in so many ways. But then I discovered preaching and my imagination. And I get to torture you guys with it all the time. It's like, what a good gig this is. Thank you, Lord, for ADHD. And I'm telling you, God has designed you. You have been crafted. You are a work of art. You may not have it all figured out right now. But God is at work and created you for a a, a purpose in life. So here's how I kind of want to say this whole thing that we think about. Because some people kind of think, kind of argue, you know, if I I work hard enough, I'll get saved. Or if I'm good enough, I'll get saved. Or if I don't do enough bad things, I'll get saved. And that's not true at all. And yet, we are called to do good works. So here's the way I say it. Good works will never produce righteousness. But righteousness always produces good works. Good works will never produce righteousness. You'll never be able to do enough good works to be righteous in God's eyes. But if you accept Christ's righteousness, it will always cause you to do good works for others because you're being transformed into the image of Christ. And we don't do good works just because they're going to make, make us, uh, get us into heaven. We do them because we love our Heavenly Father. So here's what I know this whole thing's about. We're about ready to wrap up, so uh, <clears throat> if the band would come. It's all about the resurrection. You were dead, and now you are alive. You were dead in your sins and your trespasses and the things that destroyed you, and God has come in and he has raised you to new life. In your, how you work in the world, and he wants to do great things through you. Here's the truth of the matter. We're all on the island of misfit toys. Amen? Amen? And our Savior is not Rudolph. He's a great guy, I'm sure, with a red nose. 
But our Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ who comes in and with all of our brokenness and all of the things that are going on in our lives, and he gives us new life in Christ and uses us for the kingdom of God. And all God's people said, Father God, thank you for this good word from Paul, Father. Thank you that he tells us the truth, that sin will kill us, Lord, but that he also gives us the hope we have in Christ Jesus through the resurrection, Lord, that we can be new in him, Lord, and that we can be what you would have us to be, that we can be finely crafted uh, instruments in the hand of the living God, Lord. We love you, and we thank you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's see.